Hi everybody, welcome to the Climbing Talent Development Show. My name is Alvaro, and I'm here with Udo Noman. Hi Udo. Hi Al. I'm excited. Today we're going to be talking about uh, practice versus performance. And basically, this is kind of, the idea for today is for Udo and I to have a bit of a conversation about this concept. Uh, we introduced it uh, a while back at one of our training camps, and I think it's something that's very common in, in just coaching pedagogy, which is essentially a conversation about a spectrum between what practice time looks like and what performance looks like. And in the scope of climbing, I think this can be really challenging compared to other sports, because for a lot of people, practice and performance in climbing looks very similar. The expectation for athletes, even during a practice session, is they know how they should be climbing. And if they're not climbing at that level every single time that they go into practice, uh, it's really easy for them to measure, okay, even if they walk into any gym, it's graded and it can be basically, you know, yeah. set against it on another day. And basically what I'm getting at is that almost every practice turns into a performance, their expectation of climbing yeah. at a certain level of performing at a certain level. And that yeah. can really be detrimental to your growth as a, yeah. as a climber. Yeah. For me, the, the, the concept makes so much sense, uh, because it, um, makes me think about the role of mistakes and errors, you know, and, and uh, I mean, just in general, that, that just the term errors and mistakes, I think it's already a little bit misleading, you know, and just from, from our social interactions, you know, very often, if somebody keeps on making excuses, you know, somebody is always too late, uh, you know, not one time, but then the second time, third time, you know, and they're always sorry. And I, since a while, I always tell these people, look, the first time might have been a mistake or error, but then it became a decision. Now, and actually for, for motor performance, I almost think that it is a, it, 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 the term error is even a little bit misleading because it's, it's a decision. You know, and very often errors in motor, in movement is just the more convenient or the more, more patterned uh, uh, way of doing things like uh, like when we when you for example you have to do a, uh, to ha you have to reach across your body cross your midline this is not done easily by us so we instead we opt for the simple uh, we don't step through we do, for, do do the simple thing so is this an error and Coming back to this concept of, of uh, practice versus performance, you know, with practice it's really clear that more than anything else, I want to encourage uh, the athlete to make mistakes. You know, it's it's about that it's something they would never do uh, just by the sound of performance. You know, even if they're, I mean, it's a little bit of paradox because you still, I think, you should still practice with a performance mindset. Uh, 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 but you uh, uh, you you um, you accept errors. This is the biggest part uh, of of practicing for me. Yeah, I, I guess when you when you say error and kind of like what you don't like about the name 
in itself, it's, it seems like it almost rem removes the agency of the athlete. Like an error is almost something that happens to the athlete. And you're saying, well, yes. it's more of these are decisions and maybe they're like suboptimal decisions. And that's a way that you should see it as opposed to where like error yeah. is almost like something that happens to you that, or, or it, I, I guess like a, it, it can kind of, you have to see him as an opportunity for it to shape the way that you're learning as an athlete and maybe errors and mistakes isn't necessarily going to be attributed that way. Is that fair to yes. say? Yes. Yes. I mean, maybe, maybe I was, uh, when I was thought about today's show, I was thinking of a really basic example. I don't know if you would agree. Uh, it's since a while, maybe like not more than 10 years moves where you, have to switch sides you know you're coming from a cycling like maybe like this and you have to move all the way around and switch to this side is there a term for, for uh, moves like this in in english that you how what how would you call this uh, I, I just I recently mean, that's a good question though it's like we have to <laughs> define a dictionary especially every time we, no. we talk about it together in, in, in Germany, with the team, it became at one point it became really necessary that we improve uh, uh, the, the, this skill, you know, because it happened in more and more uh, Boulder World Cups that this was a thing, uh, and uh, and it's a very uh, basic, basically skill, you know. And uh, I, I just recently I posted a video of of Janja not doing exactly the same thing, but what she definitely does is she. She uh, comes from this side, and then she moves over to this side. Now, and and uh, in in this case, uh, it was not totally necessary. It was of the qualification in Meiringen. Uh, but if you think about it, um, this is, for me, this is a scenario where if you don't encourage errors, you know, uh, you you get stuck into the middle. You know, and I think you, uh, it's very, very hard to improve this behavior by just making little adjustments. You know, we the way we did it, it was almost we were almost hoping to basically destroy the the pattern of not totally com uh, committing to the to the switch. You know, and this yeah, is yeah. very very. A, a very important in motor learning, I think, you know, like, and I have different terms for this in, in Germany, we use the term uh, contrast learning. So that basically you would uh, try the totally opposite of what you what uh, you would do to play it safe. And again, this all, you know, you get no buy in, if you don't communicate with the athlete that this is about practicing. You know, this uh, coming back to this this uh, uh, this concept, or this uh, the communication today's session or this session is about practicing. You know, you don't uh, the athlete won't be engaged if they get away with like a, like doing it a little bit, but still staying in one plane with a with a wall and not fully commit uh, falling into like turning around. Uh, it, I think it won't help you. Yeah. No. And, so I, I mean, yeah. Sorry. So, so, so one of those things in that move, because you're kind of like basically pivoting around a line. Yeah, pivoting. So to speak. Pivoting. Yeah, exactly. And uh, 
that's always kind of been a good example for me because right at the middle before you transition from one side is the most uncomfortable and the highest yes. it like it has the highest feeling of you're going to fall you know yeah. Um, yeah and i think it kind of to highlight what you're saying at the end here is um in in a very performance mindset if we talk about an athlete who is in a really you know maybe somebody who has been in the World Cup circuit for a long period of time at this point, like they, they have a lot of their process figured out. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it's even arguable whether that person should stay in that performance mindset for such a long period of time, but it's a pretty static place to be because you're not really, um, it's, it's a place of not necessarily encouraging mistakes and taking risks and trying to mm -hmm. like yeah. experiment and find new solutions. Uh, it's a place for ex uh, like execution um, and essentially you're looking for re repeatability and and consistency and on the other side of the spectrum it's the complete opposite um, where uh, for me like one of the biggest examples and I've mentioned this to you before is speed climbing when somebody learns speed climbing for the very first time it is such a practice mindset because expectation is out the window like it's just fun. It can be, it could be fun. Okay. Right. We're learning one move at a time. The concept of even just getting, putting it all together hasn't even entered their mind, but then there hits a point where everybody learns the entire route and they can do the route from the bottom and you put the timer on and they get their first time. And all of a sudden the mindset can shift pretty much indefinitely yeah. if you let it. Yeah, because now it's yeah. now there's an expectation. Okay, my time is whatever, 15 seconds. Yeah. Now every single time I want to beat that. Every time I go on and there's a timer on, I want to beat that time, and it makes you really resistant to change beta. Because if you change beta, you're going to go slower, and you're going to have to be yeah. okay with, you know. Yeah. And and to to me that always was really clear. Like, it, it, and especially even in just that moment by turning the timer on. You know, you could have a practice for an hour where the person looks amazing. And then the stress yeah. of turning the timer on once is enough to completely just make a person lose sight of what they were supposed to be doing. So, yeah. 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 I, I, I think that is true for, for all kinds of plateaus that athletes that you encounter as an athlete. No, I, I, I think this this. This is a small detail, but it is, I think it's a very good recommendation to uh, ask yourself, you know, am I practicing enough or am I only and, and I mean, performance that that sounds such a big thing. It's not only limited for, for World Cups and for for like timed effort, but it can be also your peers in the, in the gym, you know, because it's really I, I think I touched at one point a little bit on, on like the social, like the the behavior in the, in the peer group and there's this thing social facilitation you know that we all enjoy if our peers are encouraging us you know and, and we're really get, getting up this boulder problem because of them you know but there's also the opposite you know we are just not experimenting a whole lot if our peers are expecting something from us uh, and and this is when when the uh, uh, remembering that it is about practice or there won't be progress without practicing uh, m might be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, that's why I like the word performance in this context, because to me, performance is like, it, it almost like implicitly adds the observer. Like the main yeah. reason is that there's an observer it's... Um, and that observer is what's causing, you know, whether it's the timer or, or you're in a competition and there's people watching, but it just that when you're in a practice setting and other, like, I think almost like music musical performance like oh well this person is here and oh. they're watching me you know do this as well, opposed performing to just arts. like yeah exactly. performing arts, huh? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. True. yeah so that's kind of how yeah. I, I think like the big distinction yeah. is because the other side of it is you're in a box you know you're in a climbing gym by yourself it's completely dark yeah. nobody can see you and like what you would do there is probably quite a bit different than what you you know how you would climb in a situation where like nobody's watching and you're you can make all the mistakes that you want because like you said exactly what you said yeah go for it and you seem yeah yeah no i was just wondering you know i i could also imagine that it becomes second nature this performance uh, uh mindset you know especially now with social media where we're all basically everything we post is a performance like even if we label it as, as practice and i think it can very easily it can uh, uh sneak in you know that we we are constantly in the performance state of mind which of course is also very exhausting you know there's another part of it and but the main thing for me is really that we don't allow ourselves experimentation in this mindset this is uh, the, the worst thing the, the biggest problem yeah, so I kind of wanted to go back and we can touch back a little bit on the constraints-led approach because I think this is kind of a tool to drive for a coach. Uh, and maybe we didn't go through this a, a ton last time, but it's funny because in here you have performer. <laughs> and this yeah. performer is essentially the athlete. And you have a goal-directed movement, which maybe is dictated by the athlete if you're self-coached or the coach. And... Um, I think that's what's important here to break people out of that is that you have to start defining what success looks like for a practice when it's not, you know, s s doing boulders, climbing at the same level that you normally climb. I think like setting an intention for your practice that you can actually measure and decide to some extent, you know, did I, did I achieve what I was trying to achieve? helps you break out of that performance mindset a little bit so in here for instance we had the ex, ex uh we had the example last time of maybe the goal-directed movement was for people to learn how to you know smear on volumes confidently because i kind of said the example of you have a climber they're high up on a boulder problem they have to either slowly you know balance over a smear on a volume to finish a boulder problem, or maybe they have to do it quickly. And that's something that as a coach, you see the athletes having a really hard time doing. Um, and you decide, okay, well, that's something that essentially I need to, I guess, correct or, or a behavior that you kind of want to encourage the climber to do. And I guess, uh, as we mentioned, a competition, them experiencing that thing for the first time at a competition essentially in like the biggest of for them like a big performance scenario is probably going to be the worst time for them to actually learn the situation and how to how to overcome maybe the fear or 
you know, be willing to actually take the risk to stand on something like that when they normally wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's, um, I mean, uh, first of all, to, to uh, explain the, the diagram a little bit more, this goal-directed movement comes, uh, may, maybe I didn't draw it in a nice way, but it comes from the uh, overlap, overlap of environment task and performer. You know, is it the confluence? Is, would this be the right? Uh, you know, so basically, this is what uh, creates the goal-directed movement. So everything is, is in there. You know, with the environment, like a dual texture hold would be a change of environment. The task of, is obvious, you know, and the performer. This is where this comes from. But there's actually, I, I think now, now that we're talking, you know, your example of um, how you change the the holes, the footholds for running into this wall in our last uh, episode. Now, that was uh, almost gradual exposure. You know, where you, where you, you, where we kept the athletes at their challenge point. Uh, and and uh, this is still, in, in a way, you're almost avoiding frustration and, and errors. You know, but there are for, for motor learning. There are also uh, examples like this: this move, you know, where uh, you uh, it's not enough to, or it's it's almost not possible to uh, work with gradual exposure. You know, you almost want to shock the system. You know, you want to establish a new, more useful uh, pattern. You know, by by fully committing to the uh, to, to the pivot, and uh, and again. This, uh, the way I see it, this, this practice and performance uh, um, continuum helps me also to get buy-in from the, an engagement from the athlete. Now, and from, from our experience, it's, it makes a huge difference, right? To communicate this very early that this is about practicing. Yeah, and I guess it, it, that was exactly what we do in these scenarios is be very clear that that's kind of... I mean, one of the biggest things was we would ask them at the beginning, like, is this practice or is this performance? We'd explain, you know, kind of where we saw practice and where we saw performance. And we were at a camp, you know, um, beforehand, uh, before divisionals or before nationals. And we'd ask the kids like, oh, is this uh, more practice or is this performance? And almost all of them would raise their hand in the performance side of things. Yeah. So even how they perceive it is like, it, it, for a lot of them, you have to kind of contextualize it around the fact that they're basically seeing sizing up all the competition the week before they're going to go and compete against them. And you would essentially see them break down sometimes because they would feel, Oh, well, this is the individual that I'm going to be climbing against next week. And they're beating me on every mock competition and you know, if that's happening now, it's going to happen next week. And so yeah. it, for, like you said, it was really important to lay down the foundation for them to get buy-in and be like, okay, well, is this that performance? Like, are we there right now? No, not necessarily. So you're kind of like sabotaging your own practice time because you're turning it into a, this performance. And, and I think when you and I talk about this sometimes, because uh, if we see it as a spectrum, uh, let's say the camp falls, you, you know, more towards the practice side and the competition falls more towards the performance side. 
you also have to be able to elevate your practice to feel more like a performance and vice versa, like make the performance maybe feel a, a little bit more like practice. Because yeah. For example, in the case of you are on the in the Boulder World Cup, like next weekend in in Salt Lake, and you have no idea how this problem is going to work, and now with the starting positions being already the first cracks very often, you know, I think it could totally help you to at least. I think you have to fake it a little bit, but if you get a little bit more into a practice mindset, <laughs> you know, and just uh, what also includes to rapidly make mistakes, you know, like in, in, in the case of these, um, like the first cracks is a dyno, complicated, modern, uh, really difficult to figure out uh, uh, movement with momentum, you know. And uh, the, the, the question is, uh, I mean, this is, of course, is, uh, there's not, it's not black and white, you know, and it's very individual. But I think in many instances, it would help to make a lot of mistakes for a while to get a lot of information in uh, about the problem. And uh, so basically switch on your, your practice mindset for a minute until you get all this uh, frustration and all the mistakes in and then home hope that your brain is is uh, figuring it out because this is actually how motor learning works you know it's it's based very much on these frustrations of of mi mistakes you know and you're right you know it, it goes both ways you know you also want to somehow uh, very often uh, um, make uh, your your movement have more consequences so it becomes more of a uh, to make it more stress proof you know if you're only uh, like practicing and it's all like joy and flow uh, and so it probably doesn't stick really well you need this this kind of consequences and frustrations uh, for for motor learning so there is an element of performance in your practice uh Maybe that becomes more and more unclear what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's honestly people. We really have just good experiences with communicating these two terms. No, but again, uh, uh, it's it's a spectrum or a continuum, even. No, yeah, it's, I think it's, that's it's the hard something. Part. It's it's it, these are terms that might be helpful to inform your, your coaching, but also for the individual athlete uh, to, to keep in mind that this, uh, this differentiation exists. Yeah, I think for me, it's been really helpful just because we've introduced this to the athletes before. On a day where you can kind of tell for, for some of the kids, as they get closer and closer to competition, they get more and more stressed out, especially if they're practicing around kids that they're going to be competing with in the future where, like I said, they're sabotaging their, their practice time because at that point they're always doing that calculation. Oh, okay. This is where they're at. I need to qualify in this level. There's four girls. I mean, like it, there's always that calculation going on and even just asking the question, okay, well right now is it practice time or is it performance time? And it, it can even just use, be useful as a tool to reset, you know, their expectations. For, for what they're supposed to be doing and kind of recenter them on the goal because, um, you know, like let's say maybe 
an exercise that I commonly like doing is getting athletes pretty tired uh, by either, you know, climbing quite a bit and then getting them on really technical, like, slab climbs that I want them to be able to perform while they're really tired. And, and so if you say, okay, well, the goal, the climbing kind of before the slab right now is not necessarily the end of, like, that's not necessarily the goal. We just want you to come into the slab with a certain, you know, with a certain feeling. And then once yeah. you're on the slab, that's where I really need you to focus and try to not make, you know, the mistakes that you do when you generally get tired, where you lose sight of the kind of pressure that you're putting into feet. It's it's not about that you can't physically do the climb. It's that you're making a mistake mentally. And really frequently, something like that, it's a, you'll see an athlete really frustrated during the ramp up up to the slab that they can't do the boulders that they were trying to do to get tired. And it's like, is that the goal right now? No, yeah. that's not the goal. The goal is, you uh, know, if you were climbing as easy as, you know, you're climbing these easy boulders and, and just by doing that, you've essentially made it so that the, the goal, the intention, which was for you to climb this thing well tired, you didn't get anything out of it because you were so focused on performing yeah. on those other boulders. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, go, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it sometimes can be a little bit really of a paradox because we're emphasizing so much on that any exercise uh, uh, shows some transfer that it transfers to the to what we have in mind for the athlete, you know, like a, a certain kind of behavior. But then I think in in under the practice mindset, it's almost you have to be willing to stray away from. Oh, I, I still think that these things transfer very well, but the athlete doesn't see it this way. And almost sometimes it even is a relief for them. If, if they cannot clearly, I mean, maybe in, with certain athletes, you, you'll be arguing about uh, the purpose of this exercise, you know, especially if they're like in puberty or, or, or later, you know, uh, that they don't see really why they should do this exercise. Uh, so that that can be the a problem, but very often, if it's it seems to them detached from performing, I think you already you in some cases you already made some progress. No, if if they think yeah. that's uh, like like they're in this in with their peers, you know, they're co all competing in two weeks' time, and they're constantly comparing themselves. I think it can be a relief if it's something uh, uh, ridiculous. That in, for you as a coach serves the purpose of, of improving this certain behavior, you know. But uh, uh, but uh, for them it does. They don't really see it, you know. Uh, yeah. So like walking around on volumes or doing those things that we do is like so unrelated. Yes. Because I think yeah. it's, that's where um, it is hard for them to make that connection oh man, this person can do this better than I can. It's like, that's a stretch for them to go, oh, well, then they're going to beat me next weekend. And it gives yeah. other athletes, it gives them an opportunity to potentially see, oh, okay, maybe I'm not like, they can yeah. demonstrate athleticism in other ways. And I think that's good as well. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's like detaching them because the more it looks, it's kind of one of those things where, oh, as we get, and we'll talk about this also, because I think we wanted to talk about how this can help also, uh, periodize your training for your for your team or i guess your coaching or your programming um as you go through the season it, your your plan might go from 
the practice side more towards the performance side and simulating performance and vice versa. But yeah, like you're, you're mentioning, I think those are the things where when I was playing soccer, if there was so many, so much of our practice time was spent with not no goals on the field, you know, yeah. it's just keep away. It's like, yeah. that is very different. There's such a detachment from that and like 11 versus 11 that, yeah you you don't get as stressed out in that way but you're still learning a lot of really important you know aspects yeah. of the game so yeah climbing yeah. is missing a lot of that a lot of time because most of the time for a lot of practice it's just climbing it looks like climbing yeah and i would especially if you're dealing with athletes i, I already mentioned this that they're plateauing somehow and um, i mean it's what do i mean with plateauing but uh, I, I don't want to make it too harsh, but if you don't see a, an improvement with your athletes, you know, or as an athlete, you're, you're basically you're stuck. You make semis, but you never made finals. So obviously, the, at least compared to your competitors, uh, nothing seems to really improve or happen. You know, that I, I think it can totally help to think along these lines of, of am I practicing enough? And then mainly, Am I making enough mistakes? You know, and it's also, I think, like psychologically, if basically the only time you're really being frustrated is in a in a competition, that must that can't be a good thing. You know, if you don't know the sensation that you have no clue of of doing something. I think quite frankly, even on the World Cup level, many uh, athletes are don't have enough of this experience in their in their preparation you know in this this really this lost feeling and really like this embarrassment you know you have to spend five minutes on the mats you know and everybody can see that you you don't have a clue or you're too weak or whatever you know and uh, i think this is when when again this practice mindset could really help you know to, to yeah, it's, I think because you mentioned this earlier, that feels like really, uh, I guess, risky to, to try to treat, you know, a competition at that level in like that, you know, because and I think that's true for a lot of people, because if you're saying, oh, well, let me take these four minutes of my really potentially, sh I think for most athletes, they'll feel this way. What if I don't ever make it to a World Cup again? You know, these could be the the, the only four boulders that I ever see in, in the World Cup stage. Like, this is my time to shine. And if not, like, I'm going to be remembered as, you know, a fluke that only made it there one time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to take, it's like a very bold thing to take those four minutes and be like, well, you know, this is going to be a time for me to continue to learn i guess that's challenging for a lot of people and but that doesn't just extend people feel exactly the same way at every level you know totally totally yeah. totally and, and and it's also like it can like within two problems like we i think last time we talked about it like within one final you see multiple personality changes in all the competitors, you know, like, uh, uh, and it has a lot to do with expectations. And so, so I, I mean, uh, this is another aspect that you, I think with practicing or with spending more time with, uh, with this practicing mindset, you also practicing um, uncertainty, you know, and, and uh, tolerance towards uh, ambiguity. 
this is a side aspect because you're just spending more time uh, being confused and, and clueless. And, and this is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. As a coach or an athlete, how can you ensure that you're spending more of your practice time in a practice mindset? Like what well, are some uh, signs? Uh, 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 what uh, this is okay let's let's go back maybe hopefully or i'm actually pretty sure we've in in these two salt lake competitions we find an example for for this kind of move and we will find competitors that didn't commit to the full pivot you know, and and uh, this is, I mean, this is directed more. Uh, maybe uh, I, I find something to talk about athlete, but this is more directed towards towards coaches. So uh, just just imagine you, you your athlete doesn't commit to this um, to to the full pivot. You know, so in in this case, uh, I. I don't know if I mentioned this or if this became clear before. You almost don't. There is, I don't see really a chance to manage this through gradual, uh, gradual exposure. This is something where you really have to burn the bridge. Uh, uh, you know, it's like uh, binary. It's it, a little bit binary. Like well, yeah, I, I, I shy away a little bit, but but it's it's almost like okay. I think that fits really well into the constraints-led approach, you know, uh, because you have these two. First of all, of course, you as a coach, you have to design the task in in a good way, so that the athlete can't get away with uh, with like not really committing to the pivot, you know, and and uh, doing it half-assed uh, way. So, and of course, this will lead to a lot of frustration. You know that that means uh, an athlete that is a, a fantastic climber maybe cannot do this kind of if you really create it in a pure way that uh, uh, only Tomoa and and Yanya could do it uh, instantly. You know there will be a lot of frustration. But in this case, I really think it helps to communicate. Okay, this is about practice. We have no, we have to learn this. There's no other way, you know, and it's also uh, there's a huge risk of that under pressure. You will be regressing to your more uh, dominant pattern, you know, and this is why you need to burn the bridges. So in these instances, you know, where you really have to learn something completely uh, new, this is uh, uh, where you need this this uh, practice mindset. Yep. This yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I would say, um, kind of in your example, it, it, the constraints that approach leads into this well in the sense that as a coach and as an athlete that's maybe coaching yourself, you have to set up good parameters for it to be a good practice. Because if not, if you don't kind of constrain it in that way, the, the athletes fill in the rest of the gaps. And a lot of times that just turns into, uh, they're going to go to, their habits, like you said, like maybe you're trying to teach them this, this like new move and you're, you're framing it in a way of, of a skill, like something that we need to develop. And if, if you don't necessarily do that in a good way and route setting plays a, a big part of this, then, um, you're not necessarily going to get the result that you want, like you're saying, but, but I, yeah. it kind of brings up an interesting point because 
I do think route setting then ends up playing and we'll probably end up doing a quite a bit big show or maybe multiple shows on just route setting and the role of kind of athlete development. But um, the game is also really important because for somebody like you're mentioning, you have to set something that kind of forces the athletes to confront this new movement so that, you know, only Tomo or Yanya are going to do it. And that's really hard as well. Like to just do that as a task to set something like that in a way that's intuitive and not necessarily where you every time, oh, okay, well, you did it the other way, but let's try it this way now is difficult. Um, and something that as a coach, like that's what's powerful about the constraints led approach. And we talked about how maybe sometimes it can feel hands off when you're coaching because during the time that they're doing it, yes, they're learning and maybe you don't have to, all you have to do is kind of observe and say, oh, this is what it looks like. But the setup up to it is the difficult part. For and sure. For, creating for these sure, yeah. environments. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But we should also mention, I think we kind of missed this the last time within this. Can you pull up the, the triangle again the, with the uh, constraints led approach? Now, well, communication, like any cue, any bit of information that we're giving would be also considered to be a constraint. You know, and this is uh, uh, another thing. I mean, I'm almost a little bit embarrassed, but I find myself like from very early on, uh, 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 I, very often I mislead the athlete, you know, and, uh, and this can be a, a very powerful, you know, I would almost argue that can be as powerful as your setting, you know, if you frame it in a, in a way that makes sense to the athlete or maybe even distracts it, you know, to get more of this practice uh, mindset. You know, if you accomplish this, this can be really powerful, too. You know, of course, the, 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 that you that you can't get away, that there is no in-cut hole that allows you a totally different strategy and, and avoids the pivot. You know, that would be clearly not good uh, practice design or not good uh, route setting. But uh, a lot can be done like for coaches. I think we mentioned this before for coaches that can't set their uh, uh, problems in the gym, uh, framing it in, in, a, in an interesting way can accomplish a lot. Yeah, yeah so, so maybe, maybe do you, do you have, have an example, example of that, that in the context, context of, of, I'm trying to think of, of an example of what you're talking about with, uh, for me, something that's kind of similar to what you're talking about, and maybe this is what you mean, um, is that basically adding more information to the athletes can get them to, I was working with somebody yesterday who I told them, like, there was no zone on the boulder. And then I told them, oh, this is the zone. And as soon as I told them where the zone was, it completely pulled them out of position for the entire boulder. And, like, had I not to told them where the zone was, uh, they would have climbed the boulder completely different. I mean, I don't know that, but, I'm like, I, I feel pretty confident about that. But I think well, you're – this is kind of what you're talking about? Like, just by adding – that's a constraint within itself, just by giving them this information that they would have before. Yeah, or directing their attention. I would think uh... – uh, by the way, I think your your second microphone is open again. The, uh, your, I, I thought you're right. Yes. Uh, okay. 
Okay, no, one very basic, like when you were asking at first, I didn't have an idea. No, I, like my, my first idea, I guess, would be to direct their gaze. You know, that's a very basic thing. Like if you ask them to look at their, the palm of the hand while they're doing a certain move that, uh, uh, like in, in, in surfing or skating or snowboarding, uh, now uh, uh, they, they talk, or even gymnastics, you know, they talk a lot about look into the, the, uh, the direction you're, you're intending to go. And we don't use these things uh, enough in, in climbing, I think. You know, that would be very easy and very basic. It's actually not like, it's not uh, rocket science, it's not uh, wizardry. But if you're just, uh, that can already have a huge uh, change in, in strategy. You know, if you're like, what are you looking at, you know, when you're doing this? They, they, they have problems with the volume or even, even, uh, uh, this move. Let's let's stick with this example. Huh? Hopefully, we will find uh, some some uh, examples from from the next World Cups. But if you start like here, you know, so you look into this direction, you know, and then you uh, maybe you hold up something that they have to read, you know, uh, and they couldn't if they would would uh, try it without uh, committing to the to the pivot so their plane would stay in uh, or they would stay in this plane so if they would try to look at this they have to turn their head stuff like this no already yeah. would uh, could be really power i mean uh, it depends on the context obviously but this is, would be my basic my, my first idea of of reframing something or or cueing something slightly different yeah, yeah. and then you see what happens <laughs> as a coach sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think and I, I, go for it. Yeah, there is. Uh, I mean, this is uh, one of the next episodes. We will talk about like uh, motor learning, and there is this optimal theory of motor learning. Uh, if you already want to learn, educate yourself a little bit, and one of the biggest aspects is external focus of attention you know that uh, it prevents you from choking uh, that you're not focusing on your hip but instead you're focusing off that uh, your hip is hitting the wall or uh, you know or something you're projecting into the outside world and, and this is uh, the trademark of uh, successful movement and uh, as a coach uh, uh, now giving this cue to your athlete this is where it starts you know the, uh, as i said if you ask them to look into a certain direction and even if you hold up something that they have to read uh now that would be external focus of attention and uh, it could be super powerful okay. but again again that needs the practice mindset. No, this is yeah, why yeah, these two ridiculous work, because it's 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 for the athlete, especially if they come from a, a environment where it's rather focused on performance, you know, and and they don't stray away uh, something like, and and especially if they have been competing from early age. You know, like and so it's it's, it's basically in in their mind. You know, it's not even. I don't even think that's very often that parents and coaches, this was their intention. But for a child that starts really early and starts with competitions really early, this is what it's all about. You know, and then you come suddenly with, okay, and then when you do this move, look into this direction. That is almost like, it seems to be a joke. 
uh, I think very often now because it's so unrelated of what they usually uh, care about. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the difficulty of what you're talking about. Sometimes because we're in a in a sport where there isn't that much separation a lot of the times, and climbing practice looks like climbing looks like performance a lot of the times. If you if you kind of introduce a concept where you're like, oh, hey, this is something that we want you to do, and it looks nothing like what they're practicing, you, there can be that pushback from the athlete, from parent, from other coaches that is like, what are you doing? You know, this is this doesn't look like anything like the sport that you're playing. And I think uh, sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm uh, absolutely sure of that. It's almost I, I, the way I see it between like practice and performance. In my mind, is almost like the RPE. How uh, you know how you uh, decide how hard a session is, and it's actually a really powerful way of uh, auto-regulate your your training. You know, and it's used by like even weightlifters and so uh, like. Even or especially in the sports that are compared to climbing rather simple, you know, like certain track disciplines, in terms of complexity, simple. I, I mean, uh, you use the RPE like from zero to ten to uh, decide how hard a session was. You know, and uh, if you look on social media, it seems that everybody only trains on, uh, on a ten every time. You know, but in fact, this would lead to burnout and, and injury really quickly. You know, so basically, if you look over one month's time uh, at your RPE on a daily basis, it should average at five. Now, otherwise, you're, you're, you're either overtraining uh, eventually or you're under. Uh, you're not doing enough. You know, it's not intense enough. Uh, and uh, like there's a lot of scientific literature that proves that this is really useful. But I think the same is, uh, is true for practice and performance. And now if you, uh, if you would like decide on one of these terms per session and, and after one month's time, you have like 80% of performance and only 20% uh, of practice, it will hound you. It will yeah. uh, uh, bite you. It will lead to plateaus for sure. Um, that brings up a good question because I think for me as a coach, I've experienced this and I think uh, athletes experience this very frequently too, because um, especially in the age of social media where you're watching other people, like seeing other people train at 10 all the time, that also adds an element of anxiety essentially for, it's, it's, it's hard to be okay with practice that isn't you know, at 10 all the time, it can be if you don't, you, you, if you're not really trusting your process in that way, because if you see people at that level, you know, if you see people constantly perf basically being in that mindset, it's always the what if, okay, I'm training this way, they're training that way. Is that what we should be doing? Um, and as a coach, I sometimes experience that as well. And I find myself, oh man, I wish, you know, I didn't spend the last month basically doing so much performance work and doing a little bit more practice work and kind of floating back and forth and being like, okay, well, what's really going to be optimal for the athletes, you know, leading into these next four weeks of training or something like that. So, um, sure. 
Sure, but this is, I think, what makes this uh, our job so interesting. You know, ninety yeah, percent yeah. you feel that you're totally off. You know, or maybe even more. It's a total. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, uh, yeah. It's and because every athlete is different. You know, uh, I think this this episode, hopefully, it comes across like this. It's just uh, we want you to think about these two terms. Now, that is, is not a strict recommendation to do uh, basically anything, but just to make sure that uh, that you're practicing and not only performing. Uh. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, as a coach and as an athlete, there's going to be this internal almost like tension between the two terms. Uh, it can be it, because essentially you're. It feels like a trade-off, one versus the other, uh, when you're on that that spectrum and uh yeah. but i i think that, i mean hopefully we will see a, a similar uh, adam ondra in in salt lake city but uh the way i see it he's practicing a lot uh, uh during his rounds you know like even when he like in the finals this uh i don't know what which problem that was that only kokoro uh flashed you know where, where he threw his foot uh, uh, uh the toe hook Mm -hmm. And Adam, uh, like on Adam's first attempt, he tried to get away with something he's really confident with. You know, he wasn't really seeing the necessity of uh, of doing a, a, a funky move. Uh, and I think that's totally valid. And this is what makes him uh, uh, such such a successful climber. You know, I feel that very often that Adam explores one uh, way. He is. Uh, at least the way I see it is very often contrast learning uh, the yeah, problems. Yeah. Like he, he tries one thing and then he tries almost the opposite, you know, and then he zeroes in uh, very often actually, like his th third attempt uh, is basically a mixture of the two extremes he, he explored. And this is a practice mindset. Uh, if, if you accomplish this, you know, that, that's already, a, you made a huge progress, I think, you know, to, to uh, uh, it's very rarely that add, that you feel that uh, he has to be really stressed to only be concerned of, of uh, performance. I think la uh, maybe in 2019 in Hachiyochi in the World Championships finals, that was one of the rare occasions where uh, he uh, basically uh, was got a little bit stuck in, in just his performance. And it, of course, it didn't help that uh, Tomoa did so well in all these problems. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the overlapping theme there is that as the pressure increases, it kind of forces you into, it makes you more risk averse, yeah. like less likely yeah. to want to make mistakes. Yeah, Because yeah. you don't know, and, uh, for Adam in a World Cup, it's not like he feels, oh, well, this is my only chance here. He, it's, he knows well, you know, if this goes horribly wrong, like I'll be here again, yeah. you know, year yeah. after year. But for people who it feels like this is the only thing, the only chance and opportunity that I'll get to show myself at this level, like it's going to become harder to, it's like a bit of a conflict there because it's going to be harder for you to give that up, you know, make experience, yeah. make mistakes, try to experiment. Yeah. But really it's like, the only time you're you also it's very valuable practice time because you're never going to experience that pressure again 
potentially, or like yeah. it feels like you might not experience that pressure again. Yeah, going back to your question, how an athlete can notice that they're not spending enough time in the uh, with practicing. Now, this could be an indicator. If you don't have this conflict in your training, never, you know, you're doing something, you're missing something. You know, this is definitely, I think you need the, this anxiety and this frustration in, in, in your training. No, and uh, if like you feel like really you have it figured out. Yeah, kind of. Like if you yeah, feel like you have totally, it all figured out, totally, like that's totally. That's if you that's that's uh, I maybe mean, like in my case, I always know that I'm going to do uh, something stupid, like in any situation of life, when I just before I have a feeling of uh, how accomplished and how competent I am. That's for me a surefire uh, a signal that uh, something is going to. But I, of course, I never believe it. And I always think, oh, this time I'm just feeling great and I am great and nothing bad will come from this. But then it will strike again. You know? And I think the same, uh, this is something as a competitor you need. Uh, I mean, it's just human behavior. It's, it's really normal. But you need to embrace this uh, uh, uncertainty and this ambiguity. Uh, uh, and again, yeah, and, and as a coach helps. too. Like totally. It, if I think there are more sports where it's there's more of a pedagogy and it's more figured out, and that's like one of the cool things about climbing, especially, you know, I think the combined format for the Olympics, as much as much uh, as a lot of people didn't like that that was the format, it snapped a lot of people's realities into something completely different. It forced a lot of athletes into a practice mindset because they had to completely they had to change how they thought about okay doing three disciplines at the same time. They didn't speed climb for Adam. It probably had it forced them into having to learn this. Um, and same thing, but but the reality is like since this, uh, route setting, especially in the bouldering, is such a moving target. That's happening all the time. You know, if you're not in that practice mindset, you you're just hopeful basically that that style for that period of time suits you. But then if it moves, if you don't have that mindset, it's going to leave you behind. Um, yeah, and this is uh, like, I don't know how it is nowadays, but I have been in my last isolation on the international competition two years ago. And it was that was one of the biggest uh, differences between Team Japan, especially the guys, and, and everybody else. Because what they call warm-up, nobody in the uh, in the other countries would call a warm-up and also especially the boys they stand in front there's a whole group and they're all giggling and they somebody like Tomoa he won world cups without doing more than two moves in uh, in succession in in a row in uh, in warm-up so and so basically they would be warming up they would be experimenting and they would be in a total uh, practice mindset. So they would show each other these hideous stunts, you know, and then the other one would be, ah, uh, like, uh, again, of course, there's an element of performance there, but they, they didn't expect, I mean, most likely all of them did their hardest moves uh, uh, warming up. And what came later in the comp was like just, okay, you, you have to perform under pressure. Then this was truly the performance for them because then the pressure was there and they were on the stage. But uh, uh, the work had been done uh, practicing in, in isolation during the yeah, warm-up. Cool. 
Yeah, uh, this is an idea for it. I, I would like to talk about this sometime in the future, but I think just warm ups in general for climbing. Yeah. So so we'll put a pin in that. But I, for yeah. for me, a, a big takeaway I think uh, for people that are listening uh, and for myself to remi- to remember is essentially just even by framing this question to your athletes. Okay, introduce the concept of what a practice looks like, what a performance you know mindset might look like where some of these things that you do day to day might live on this and asking them where they think, you know, they are in even in just like a day. And it, like, it, cause for me, very rarely, even for a national competition, you know, at UFB, like it's kind of a performance, but still in the, in the scheme of the athlete development over a long period of time, it's very valuable practice. And time to still be making a lot of mistakes and if you frame it that way then the athlete will obviously be very disappointed if they make those mistakes but then realize okay those mistakes are part of the input that is going to help develop them into a great competition climber or athlete or person in the future yeah 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 no i I couldn't agree more it's uh, uh so nowadays if you show me youth results, I don't care at all. The only thing I care about is that the uh, kids got exposed or exposed themselves to uh, to the scenario. I, I think that's super valuable. And, and so far, performance is important, you know, because without performing well, they wouldn't make it into the next round. So I think it's always a pity if you have to leave after after qualification or the, the competition is over for you. So this is, in my mind, <laughs> where, I, where I don't embrace uh, not caring about performance. But uh, granted that you make it to the your most to the final say, you know, or you, you, you made it to the rounds that you could uh, possibly hope for then I, I don't care about what, what comes out of this, you know, and I much rather, I think it's all one important aspect is uh, you have to get these mistakes out of your system. It's almost like the many uh, film directors say this, you have to get the p- bad films, you know, get them out of your system, make a couple of really terrible films uh, so that you uh, <laughs> get it over with. And I see the, I think the same uh, way about youth competitions, you know, the more, it's almost the more stupid mistakes I see, the more relieved or hopeful I am for the future. And and what bothers me the most is if I haven't seen a stupid mistake for a long, long time. Then I think, oh, uh, hopefully it's not going to happen at the World Championships. Well, hopefully everybody has, you know, good practices and good performances. (laughs) And that that all comes with the framing, I guess. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Please let us know if you want want us to talk about something specifically. We have some ideas, uh, maybe some guests in the future. Yes. Yes. Please comment. Yes. Please ask. Practice asking. Thanks, Udo. (laughs) 